Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Okay, welcome back, everybody. Now, I know that in the last episode, <laughs> I said that uh, this was not a false flag podcast, and it's not, but these false flags just keep sucking me right back in. So, I have a lot of education news that I, that I want to cover here and a lot of things I want to break down regarding American education, clearly, hence the name of the podcast. Um, and then some preparatory news as well and a, a few other things to read and some intel from listeners and some emails that they've sent me about gas prices and things that they've observed, which is absolutely fantastic. And I love the emails. So please keep sending them of things that you're noticing and seeing in particular, of course, based on things that are brought up on this show. But um, first, let me get into the Abe thing real quick. I, I, you know, I, I was I was slow on this one, um, skeptical at first, and I thought to myself, well, this seems very strange. Um, immediately, it seemed beyond strange. First of all, out of the gate, when I saw two videos, because two videos quickly emerged, and they were from both sides of of the small crowd that was watching and listening to Shinzo Abe, the former prime minister of Japan, and. On the left side, which would be Shinzo's right side, the video, I believe, didn't have any audio with it. It was just video. And then, of course, as soon as you hear or see smoke or whatever, because, again, no audio, but as soon as you, you see it, the camera goes down to the ground, and then somebody scurries away. That was odd. Uh, and then the next one on the other side, very similar thing. And then there was the third video, which actually shows the impacts, so to speak. But they aren't impacts. So, again, I just want to briefly break this down. And fortunately, again, I'm not the only person who noticed all of this, which is great. It's bouncing around different places on the old interwebs where I pick up some information and, and, and listen to other people discuss particular things. and. They were picking up on on the very same things that I was, and I was learning from them, and so on and so forth. But first of all, it seemed odd to me, and then someone, again, responded to me on Gab and kind of cleared this up a little bit, and I assumed that they're telling the truth, although I don't know. But I said, who, my first question was, who gives a political speech in the middle of an intersection? I mean, it was right in the middle of a road. The road had been blocked off. He was standing on a small little platform. Very small. I mean, it was almost like the size of two shoeboxes on, uh, you know, right next to each other. And uh, I mean, who, who does that with all the windows around and, and whatever else? And I know that the citizens there apparently don't own guns. That that's not a thing, which seems odd given Japan's history. But either way. Um, that was weird to me. And I thought, well, that seems remarkably unsafe. And then I thought to myself, if he's dead, why didn't he have a bulletproof vest? Because again, he's a, he's a well-known former politician. He's an, he's a Japanese nationalist. He loves Japan. Japanese people love him, his philosophy, apparently. And, uh, he was remarkably pop popular, <clears throat> excuse me, with President Trump. The two of them, again, golfed all the time. They were allies, major allies against the New World Order and, and globalist politicians. So uh, the bad guys certainly wanted him dead, but that scenario seemed reckless to me. And then again, someone else said, and it could have been the same person, said, well, I used to live in Japan. And again, this was on Gab. They said, I used to live in Japan and, and giving speeches in the middle of an intersection like that isn't unusual. And then they said that they don't take security uh, as seriously as they do in America. There aren't mul multiple vehicles. There aren't multiple secret service, so to speak, um, bulletproof vests, XYZ. Again, seems odd and reckless to me, given the state of affairs here in, in the world right now. And so there was all of the all of that, and then I, I got into the business of the actual gun itself, and how the person was allowed to get that close, because there were barriers behind him, 
that were keeping people away. And then all of a sudden, this individual jumps over a barrier and starts making his way directly behind Abe, which again, there was quote unquote secret service or his security looking again in that in that direction. There were a couple looking behind him. Most of them were looking forward. But why would you let somebody immediately get that close? Unless again, all of this was an intentional setup to make it look like he was shot and dead when in fact he isn't. Um, when you watch the video, which is on my Gab account, watch it over and over and over again, and you'll see the same things that, that I see and that countless other people are seeing. Number one, when the first shot goes off, which by the way, apparently this was a homemade looking thing, it almost looks like a pop gun. Um, it's a double barrel rig and it and it's quite possible and I'm going to get into some of these kind of theoretical uh specifics here a little bit but I'll get into the gun in a little bit but when the first pop goes off everybody flinches except for Abe I mean he doesn't even move and again the video is undeniable with this he he doesn't even flinch almost like he knows it's coming or again is he that absent minded that he wouldn't even flinch when he hears a giant bang See, I flinch sometimes when I look at my own dog, who is a puppy, and barks. I'm looking right at them, and they have a very loud bark. I mean, it's, it's getting to be a deep bark. But even I'll flinch because I go, geez, like, you know. I, I mean, I, I'm even expecting it to happen. But to not hear, to, to not expect this, and to hear that bang and not flinch is odd. And then he finally turns to his left, and then you hear the bang again, the second shot, so to speak. And if you look at Abe's right collar, it puffs out. Now again, he was allegedly shot, this is the story as it goes, was allegedly shot in the left side of his back, which apparently hit his heart and then the left side of his neck. Now, the, this alleged shooter was at least, I'd say, 35, 40, maybe more feet away, which again, short barrel, we're assuming buckshot or birdshot shotgun shells from that distance with that short of a barrel would, would create a, a wider spread. No one behind Abe was shot or wounded which would also be odd because guns of that nature aren't that accurate on a small target when there are so many other people around there would have been a there would have been a bigger spread is my point um with that said after the right side of his shirt puffs out and again you can see it so it almost is if is is acting as if there is a bag or something inside of his shirt or inside of his coat that that exploded almost like a balloon or again a, a fake bag of blood or something it just popped or again those those actor um you know they have them on movie sets uh you know they'll wear particular devices that pop and explode inside of their shirt to make their shirt look like you know they've been hit with something in particular a bullet and of course there's a picture of abe on his back and on his right side where his collar was inside of his coat, there looks to be some kind of a deflated bag. Um, so there's that. And then after, again, the second shot, he, he, he ducks, and the shirt moves at the exact same time you hear the bang. I mean, it's the exact same time. It's not, you know, a second later or a half a second later. It is quite exactly the same time. And then he takes a step down off of the platform, and then he kneels down, and then that's the end of the video. And then again, it's just pictures after that. I didn't see a lot of blood next to zero. There's some blood on the outside of his shirt on his left side, but the blood bag was on his right side if, in fact, it was a blood bag. But even so, why would there be blood and, and would... would would buckshot or birdshot go through his shirt, through his coat, through his shirt, and through his back, and out through his chest on the left side of his body, 
from, again, a person who is shooting a double-barrel homemade thing from approximately, again, 35, 40, maybe even 50 feet away, right behind him? Uh, the answer is no on that. That that would not be the case. Here's Here's a reference point for anybody, if you're curious. And this guy is dead now. He died years after the fact. But remember the guy who got shot in the face and the chest by Dick Cheney when they were hunting? And he was shot with birdshot? The guy's, the guy's left side of his face was peppered. His chest was peppered. And that would have been a long barrel shotgun, relatively close range, and the guy survived. He had like, he, I mean, he had some... Uh, birdshot pellets lodged in his heart, but he wasn't, he was shot, he was shot facing Dick Cheney. He was shot in the face and in the chest. There were no wounds in the guy's back. He wasn't bleeding through his back, is my point. So why would Shinzo Abe be bleeding from the chest if he was shot in the back from that, from that distance? Uh, which allows me to arrive at basically this conclusion. It's possible that the so-called gunman, quote-unquote, was in on the whole charade to make it look as if Abe had been assassinated. It's possible that the triggers on the gun were remote-controlled so that when they would pull, the bag inside of Abe would explode. Uh, all of that is possible. All of this is, again, multidimensional thinking here, because looking at it face value, you go, oh, Abe's dead, and that's horrible. L let, me, let me reference this, too. Donald Trump's speech in, in uh, Alaska, the, the, I guess it would be the day after, was awfully mild when it came to mentioning Abe. In fact, I believe he only mentioned Abe once, and it was real quick. Pretty odd for a guy who was friends with a former prime minister. Again, lots of golf pictures of the two of them. Um, hanging out, enjoying each other's company. Seems pretty casual for, for losing a friend. Uh, you know, at, at the hands of a alleged assassin. Again, not upset, not crying about it. Just very casual, and then on to the next subject very quickly. Witness protection is most likely the logical explanation here, because again, the globalists wanted Abe dead. His philosophies apparently exist and are strong in Japan. The good guys would know that they would want Abe dead. The good, you know, good guys, of course, being Trump and everybody else, and uh, and Abe himself and Abe's security. So. Staging something like this to make it look like he's dead when in fact he's not is highly likely. It's also highly likely that the bad guys would know that scenario too. So, is he in witness protection? Probably. That's, that's most likely the, the, the plausible explanation after sort of examining everything. So, I don't think Abe's dead at all. Um... You know, kudos to the good guys for engaging in a false flag. I know that they've, I'm, I'm sure they've done it before, but um, yeah, I, I really don't know what else to bring up about it. I, I know that there's, again, a lot of scenarios and a lot of theories out there, but um, I wanted to read this just very quickly. This is from greatawakening.win, where somebody finally, and again, thank God for People ask, actually asking real questions and, and putting out a number of theories and scenarios about this. Because again, a lot of people just took it at face value and they were like, oh, shot dead in cold blood and whatever else. And I'm going, eh, I don't think so. I don't think so. It says this. It says, theories on Abe assassination. My wish is he was a white hat and the assassination was faked. That's the first line. It says, my first thought when I heard of the news was remember he was sick and he had to step down. Maybe he didn't much, uh, didn't much, didn't have much time left, and wanted to go out his own way so he could be remembered or revered. But it doesn't make sense. Second theory: the current prime minister ordered a hit because Abe's influence is still too far and wide among their circle. Third theory: he was invited to the WEF World Economic Forum in 2019. Maybe after that, he withdrew from the WEF and didn't want to do WEF's bidding. So he got punished, first poisoned, just guessing, then had to step down, 
and then the assassination shot heard around the world in a warning to other WEF members associate uh, or associate uh, not to go rogue or defy their orders. Fourth theory, and this tends to be mine, that he's a white hat and is in witness protection for the sake of his family and that white hats knew that there was an order to kill Abe, so they had to fake his death and get him in hiding. Fifth theory, his own party murdered him. Uh, he knew too much and made too many deals. Um, I'm sorry, made too many deals, or that he's a martyr and that he'll and that they'll vote for that party next time as a result of his death. Or they're trying to promote even more gun control, but they can't since it's already illegal to own guns there. And then there were a few other prevailing theories bouncing around as well. So I tend to believe the fourth one on that. Um, again, there's a lot of other theories as well, but it, it's, it, it seems beyond obvious to me, again, just based on that brief breakdown that, that uh, I, I don't think he's dead. Witness protection is, is likely the scenario there. Okay, so that's the Abe breakdown from my point of view, and I'm not the only one that shares that, which is great. Again, more people are waking up, and one of the interesting things too, which is kind of a tell on a lot of these uh, quote-unquote false flags or fake shooting things, is that we have to keep in mind again that the good guys can do this too, which is you know c can be a good thing. Again, because we're not supposed to know everything that's going on and the reasons for everything. We can certainly think about it and theorize about it and, and work out multiple scenarios, which is important to do. It exercises the brain, and, and that has to happen all of the time. Uh, leave the one-dimensional thinking for the brainwashed. Th that's where they sit. Bless their hearts. But, you know, they'll, they'll hear about something like that and then react to it and, and believe it at face value. What's telling, and, and one of the tells in all of this too, is that even on Gab, people were mentioning it at first, and then they quickly stopped mentioning it. So the speed with which people sort of memory hole it or forget about it can sometimes uh, give away that it was not what they initially thought it was. And then multiple theories started to be bouncing around on Gab. I, of course, put mine out and my, my two cents on the whole issue. Same thing with Great Awakening. Win. Some of the dingbats over there finally decided, "Hey, wait a minute. This this didn't exactly look like an actual shooting. Something else was going on here, and th the reasons to fake it are vast." Again, he was a good guy. Well, you know why would why would they be so lax in their security? X Y Z. So there you go. That's that that's kind of my breakdown of the whole thing. Okay. On to school news, and there is a bunch, and I mean a bunch. This was back on July 5th from Kyle Becker, beckernews.com. It's titled, Judge Strikes Down at Los Angeles School's Vaccine Mandate as Illegal and Blocks It from Segregating Kids into an Independent Study. Los Angeles School District has been handed a legal setback against its policy to force children to get vaccinated for COVID-19 or else be segregated into independent study. Uh, Judge Mitchell L. Beckloff's ruling in the Superior Court of California was rendered on Tuesday morning, last Tuesday. And let's see. This was from Let Them Breathe on Twitter. It says, ruling against LAUSD vax mandate follows Let Them Breathe win against SDUSD, San Diego, vax mandate. We expect to prevail against... Granada Hills and New West Charter Schools. Schools like Willows and Miriam should immediately end mandates. Kids have the right to education, and we will uphold that right. Okay, here's kind of the, the major reason that I'm bringing this up. Yes, it's a good legal win, good for them. The larger problem is the fact that people continue to send their children to these kinds of public schools, and it's indicative of their own level of brainwashing. We have to keep in mind here that in our country, if not around the world, the education system is in fact the root of the problem. It's the root of the problem because, of course, they ensnare children. And if you can brainwash a child when they are young and in childhood, you'll have them for a lifetime. Because again, for those of us that have, have awakened from the brainwashing and the spell that is American education, 
we know that the vast majority of what is taught and read in school is in fact not true. So winning these vaccine mandates and mask mandate lawsuits is certainly a good thing, and beating the system in, in that regard is a good thing. However, the, the much larger problem, and of course the vaccines are killing people and we know that, it's a bioweapon, we know that. So if they were to go and actually receive these shots, of course they're, they're going to be sterilized, barren, and they're not going to make it, most likely. The, the, the larger problem is the misinformation and the purposeful indoctrination that is taking place within the actual course material itself. This is why people have got to homeschool. You don't want to be, I don't think anyway, as a parent, on the losing end of that. If you know more about the truth, about real information and, and what can really be taught to your children, why would you send your children to such an environment where you yourself as a parent are now responsible for deprogramming them once they leave or as they are still there. See, if you're, if you're going to send a child to an American public school, private school, charter school today, you as the parent have, have got to know more than everybody else that your child interacts with. It's your responsibility, I think, as a parent, that you have to know more about it. And you have to help lead your child in that direction as best as humanly possible. By even sitting them down and simply saying, look, you're going to go to school tomorrow, but please keep in mind, child, that everything that you're going to learn is pretty much a lie, in particular in the subjects of history and science. Math is pretty basic, pretty straightforward. It can get uh, unnecessarily complicated. In, in certain subjects, but at the same time, history and science and, and sometimes literature are the most uh, deceiving and, and are more likely to lie to endless students because, again, even the teacher themselves was lied to when, when they were a student and now they've become a teacher and chan the chances of them, again, just believing that same content is remarkably high. That's why, again, in previous episodes and the one previous episode, I, I just said it's a cult because that's what it is. See, the cult leader ultimately has to be a cult attendee first. And that's the progression. They have to they have to be a member of the cult before they can make their way up the chain of said cult and then ultimately be a leader, quote unquote, within that cult. There are endless examples, the mask wearing, the jabs, all of it. Uh, so, so that's that's really the the major root of the problem. Again, I'm I'm glad that some lives are being saved and spared as a result of people still attending these schools and not having to wear a mask or not having to take these death shots. But at the same time, you've got to pull people out of these systems because again, you're rolling the dice when it comes to deprogramming your children. And um, yeah. That seems, that seems remarkably risky as well. So I just wanted to bring that up because, again, that's, that's really the root of the issue here. Here's another one. And this also happened last week, and I would be foolish to not mention this. Um, this comes from IllinoisPolicy.org. Forgive the website and the person who wrote it, but there's enough here to, to mention that uh, it's certainly important. It's titled, The National Teachers Union Pushes Mandatory Masking and Vaccines. This should be the first red flag indicator that this will come back in many school districts all across the United States. What was interesting was, is that throughout the last two and a half years, what we've noticed is, is that right out of the gate, school districts and school board members, who again are local elected officials, they immediately acquiesced to the powers that be that are outside of the local area. And they, unfortunately, they would also listen to local people as well and then base their decision based on emotion and opinion rather than fact. And therein lies the problem. The National Teachers Association, of course, is corrupt, always has been. They're bought, they're sold, they're owned, the whole thing. They want to be able to pull the trigger 
on masks and vaccines at the drop of a hat in the future anytime they deem fit. Now keep in mind, they're a union, which means teachers who are part of said union and all of the union leaders that exist in every district like a giant spider web across the entire nation, they all have to play ball. And if they don't play ball, their card's going to get pulled as a, as a union leader or as a union rep or a union represent, you know, representative, whatever, whether that rep exists within inside the building or they're a district rep. The, their card will get pulled and they'll be out of a job. They don't want that to happen, which means, again, they have to play ball. So here's what this says just briefly. It says, delegates to the National Education Association's annual meeting again called for mask and vaccine mandates, as well as remote learning. On November 8th, this coming November 8th, Voters will decide whether to grant Illinois union bosses more power to set school policy. This is, this is massive. And the timing is interesting. November 8th. When is Election Day again? Um, it says the National Education Association's delegates called for mandatory masking, vaccinations, and remote learning options during their annual meeting on July 3rd through the 6th in Chicago really is the belly of the beast there. It says delegates discussed new business item 33, I'm sorry, 37, I can read, which asks national leadership to continue to support forcing COVID-19 policies on schools. The stance runs counter to guidance from the uh, United States Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, which moved to optional masking in schools in the spring of 2022. The NEA isn't the only teachers union wanting to take away personal or local choice in favor of blanket COVID-19 policies. It says in January, the Chicago Tribune Union, an affiliate of the American Federation of Teachers, went on strike for five days to impose its own policies regarding testing and remote learning, again, against the expertise of public health leaders. See, no one is right on this stance unless your stance is and has always been, there is no COVID, masks do nothing, shots kill people. Unless that's your stance, every other stance beyond that is a complete lie and a total fraud. So it doesn't matter the union, it doesn't matter the position, the health department, the, the local school district, whatever it may be. If your stance isn't for the truth, the whole truth and nothing but, then you're a fraud. And all of this is a giant crime. I also find that remarkably uh, ironic that even Tucker Carlson, who I do not like for a variety of reasons, but even he said, is COVID the largest crime that's ever, you know, the largest fraud that's ever existed? Well, of course it is. Of course it is, you dingbat. We were saying this back in 2020. We were saying this before 2020, that they were going to pull a card like this, that it was going to be imposed on schools, businesses, corporations, whatever. And that it would be a giant lie because on that lie, you can throw a bunch of other lies on top of it that people will just blindly believe. And as you've heard me say a thousand times on this show, and I've written about it length on, the, on, on my substack, The American Classroom, it's the perfect crime. Because if you can get police officers to believe these lies, and you can get lawyers to believe these lies, and judges to believe these lies, then ladies and gentlemen, your entire judicial and law enforcement system in this country is corrupt. The only way that it isn't is if you have people who are in those positions who know what you know and know what we know, those of us listening to this. So, yeah, this is, this is going to be bad news because they're going to pull this card again. And even the WHO uh, it, you know, is, is out there talking about monkeypox in Europe and it's spreading and whatever else. They've got to they've ramp this up one more time. They've got to do this one more time. And if they get the National Education Association on their side, or the National, National Teachers Union in this particular case, then um, it's going to be very interesting to see who falls in line one more time and who does not. This will be the death nail as far as the education system in our country. Because parents won't bother showing up to school board meetings to yell about it anymore. They'll just pull their kids out permanently. And that will be the end. They will struggle financially, these school districts, and it will be game over for them financially. 
they'll have to close their doors, they'll have to shut down because they just won't have enough people. Parents can't possibly do this again. I know that it's the cycle of abuse. We've been over that before. This entire, you know, we won't do it and we don't really want the masks and we're glad people got the shots, but, you know, we understand we can't make everybody get them and whatever else. The only people getting sick are the people who have taken the shots. The only people who are getting sick are the people who wore the masks, just like the Spanish flu pandemic back in the day, uh, you know, 100 plus years ago. Same, same thing. But the cycle of abuse would indicate that some people are still going to, you know, still send their kids to these environments and still believe these lies. And even again, the ones that don't believe the lies, they'll still send their kids because, you know, they, they don't see another option. They don't think there's another option. The parents who started homeschooling in 2020 for the first time ever and still homeschool to this day have smiles across their faces, ear to ear. They're laughing at all of this. They're saying all these problems that these people are having are a product of their own decision making. Once they figure that out, that they are in fact the ones that are responsible for their own problems, you know, it, uh, it, 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 they just have no idea what awaits them on the other side. So, again, I'm, I'm saying this again. Pull your kids out again. Pull them out now before the year starts. It's, you know, we're, we're into the second week of July here. You've got plenty of time to get started and to learn. It may seem daunting, overwhelming. It's not. Get on a Becca.com. Check it out. Call them. You want to have a, a conversation with someone from Abeka? These people aren't going to turn you away. They know what's going on in the world. They want you to be a part of their accredited system because they want your child to be alive and to learn things. I'm not saying everything that's taught through these homeschooling operations is the truth always, but you know it's, be it's certainly better than, than what's offered within these brick-and-mortar buildings. There's calverteducation.com also. Check that out. There are other options, but people have got to look into them because they're going to be serving your kids up to this political system that's going to be yanking them around with a chain around their neck um, in the coming months, and this is, this is not going to be good. So keep that in mind. These next two stories were tossed to me by listeners of the podcast, and thank you for sending them. Also very revealing. And incredibly interesting. Um, yeah, so here we go. This first one comes from Zero Hedge, and it's titled University of California Waves Tuition for Native Americans starting in the fall of 2022. Now, why would this be? Why would they be waiving tuition for any Native American who applies to the University of California? Because they're struggling with enrollment. Now, the Native American population doesn't make up the vast majority by a long stretch. But it's enough to bring them in because they know that if they give them free tuition, they'll still have to pay for food, room, and board. There's class fees. There's technology fees. So just because they get a tuition waiver doesn't mean that it's free. They're still going to have to pay things. But it can help these struggling institutions, which are crumbling to the ground, and thank God they are. But it's, it's providing them a little bit of, of income. This is a last-ditch effort, in my opinion, to, again, try to place a Band-Aid on a gushing artery. And it's not going to work. The article says that, quote, the Native American students attending schools in the University of California system will have their tuition fully waived starting this fall. Announced in April, the UC Native American Opportunity Plan allows California residents who are members of federally recognized Native American, American Indian, and Alaska Native tribes to get free education on UC campuses. The program applies to undergraduate and graduate students. It says, quote, the University of California is committed to recognizing and acknowledging historical wrongs endured by Native Americans. UC President Michael Drake said in a letter, 
Quote, I am proud of the efforts of the University of California has made to support the Native American community, including the creation of the program. Now, this brings up a quick story from a listener who sent me this on their, on their travels across the nation. And again, th- this is part of the brainwashing, and the University of California system has, has certainly participated in that, in particular when it comes to the manipulation of American Native Americans or American Indians. This individual was traveling, I believe, from Alabama to California, if memory serves. And they were talking about gas prices and the mask wearing that they were seeing in XYZ. First of all, they said that the gas prices across the United States are basically the same. It's not until you hit California that that you can tell that it starts to dramatically increase, Um, in particular within the major cities that are left-wing. Then it's really higher. They also said that the Native American areas, I believe, around New Mexico, if I'm not mistaken, that many of them were masked and staunch mask wearers and uh, asking them, you know, and telling them, you have to wear a mask when you come in here. And if you come into the store, you have to wear a mask. Uh, Again, it doesn't surprise me that that would be the case. I think that it's terrible that after all of the lies and deception that has occurred within Native American areas and the culture as a whole, that they still believe these lies, many of them. I don't know the percentage, so I'm not painting with a wide brush, but that they're still watching television and they're just believing this stuff. The whole thing is fake. And now when it comes to the University of California system, they're still being manipulated. We're trying to right the wrongs of the past and give them free education. I mean, what, what are they really receiving? And I think I said this on Gab, that the three letters that should raise the most suspicion for anybody are the letters F-R-E-E. That if something is free, people's antenna should shoot up straight up in the air, and it should be a giant red flag for anyone. That again, they're being manipulated, they're being used, they're being brainwashed, and their culture is being exploited, rather than just again learning the truth, and ceasing to believe all of these lies. So is the University of California system going to be the only one that does this in the future because of low enrollment and trying to take advantage of a particular culture or a race of people? No, they're not going to be the only ones that do it. More will do it in the future without a doubt. And it's morally bankrupt and it's morally corrupt. Which, of course, leads me to this, and this was sent to me by Sicily, which is uh, from New Mexico, which is a, a great, great article. And this comes from commonsense.news. It is titled, Why I'm Giving Up Tenure at UCLA. The ideological takeover of my university has ruined academic life for anyone who still believes in freedom of thought. From Joseph Manson. So this is lengthy, but it's very good. and. Um, Bear with me here as I, as I rock through this. It says, quote, I've been a professor in the anthropology department in UCLA since 1996. I received tenure in 2000. My research has spanned topics ranging from non-human primate behavior to human personality variation. For decades, anthropology has been notorious for conflict between the scientific and political activist fractions in the field, leading many departments to split into two. But UCLA's department remained unusually peaceful, cohesive, and intellectually inclusive until the late 2000s. Gradually, one hire at a time, practitioners of critical, quote-unquote, i.e. leftist postmodernist anthropology, some of them lying about their beliefs during job interviews, came to compromise the department's most influential clique. These militant faculty members recruited even more militant graduate students to work with them. Yeah, because misery loves company. It continues, it says, quote, I can't recount even here a representative sample of this faction's penchant for mendacity and intimidation, because most of it occurred during confidential discussions, usually about hiring and promotion decisions. But I can describe their public torment and humiliation of one of my colleagues, Professor Jeffrey Bannington. I'm saying that right. 
Jeff had developed simulation models of the geographic and temporal patterning of urban crime and had created predictive software that he marketed to law enforcement agencies. In spring of 2018, the department's Anthropology Graduate Students Association passed a resolution accusing Jeff's research of, among other counter-revolutionary sins, quote, entrenching and uh, naturalizing the criminalization of blackness in the United States and calling for referring his research to UCLA's vice chancellor for research, presumably for some sort of investigation. This document contained no trace of scholarly argument, but instead resembled a religious proclamation of anathema. As you won't be surprised to hear, Jeff is not a racist, but a standard-issue liberal Democrat. The referral to the vice chancellor never materialized, but the resolution in its aftermath achieved its real goal, which was to turn Jeff, who had been one of the most selfless citizens of the department, into a pariah. He taught and still teaches a course called the Ecology of Crime, which consistently drew more than 150 students and earned rave reviews. This course had a catalog number that grouped it with sociocultural anthropology, and it fulfilled a sociocultural anthropology requirement for anthro majors. In an act of petty spite, ritual moral purification, or both, take your pick, the woke faculty clique, which compromised a majority of the sociocultural anthro faculty, banned him from using polluting any of their course numbers. Jeff continued to offer the course just under a different kind of number. Even though Jeff stopped attending faculty meetings and in every other way accepted his punishment of permanent ostracism, his tormentors weren't finished with him. In early March 2020, the following flyer appeared in the hallway of the anthropology department. And there's a picture of the flyer here, and it says the following. It's black and white, and it says, Sponsored by Million Dollar Hoods and Institute on Inequality and Democracy. It says, Academic Complicity to Academic Rebellion, Dismantling Algorithmic policy, Policing in Los Angeles. Says concerned students and faculty of UCLA invite you to a workshop with a Stop LAPD spying coalition. Uh, come learn how algorithmic policing technologies, like, um, I don't know what that means, pred poll criminalize and quarantine unhoused in extremely poor communities, especially residents of the LA's Skid Row district while legitimizing an array of police practice that contain control and crim criminalize black, brown, and poor communities. At this workshop, UCLA students, staff, and faculty will also learn how they can get involved in the movement to end algorithmic policing in Los Angeles. Join the fight and blah, 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 blah. Lunch will be provided. It continues the article, and it says, Predpol quote-unquote, is the name of Jeff's predictive software. There we go. There's the definition. It says, the sponsoring Institute for Inequality and Democracy is a far-left UCLA unit whose associate director is Hannah Appel, who also holds a faculty position in anthropology. That is, a professor tried to organize a mob to, to demand the professional destruction of a colleague. Now, I'm going to interject real quick. Ladies and gentlemen, this is not new. This kind of thing happened with my own father. This kind of thing happens with countless individuals who used to be within higher education and still are within higher education. Sometimes they succeed. Sometimes they fail. Most times they fail because, again, they know not what they're doing, and they're actually destroying themselves in the process. But, yeah, just wanted to toss that in. Uh, it continues. It says, within a few days after the appearance of these flyers, the pandemic lockdown confined us to our homes, and the anti-police movement soon had bigger fish to fry after the murder of George Floyd. Nevertheless, Jeff remained a popular and powerful hate figure for the department's woke faction on September 23, 2020, during a webinar titled, quote, The Case for Letting Anthropology Burn, unquote, sponsored in part by the UCLA Anthropology Department itself. Yes, you read that right. 
many of the chat comments from graduate students reviled him and called for further action against him. The entire episode recalls a prescient observation in a 1995 article by the great psychological anthropologist Roy Diondrand, if I'm saying that right, quote, isn't it odd that the true enemy of society turns out to be the guy in the office down the hall, unquote. The article continues, and it says, not only was Jeff ostracized, he was effectively erased. None of the faculty talked about him if they could possibly avoid it. Meanwhile, our department chair opened most faculty meetings by solemnly intonating that our department was a community, quote-unquote, and a family, quote-unquote, and that, quote, we're here for each other, unquote. In private conversations, I was able to elicit, uh, fr- I was able to elicit from some of my colleagues an embarrassed acknowledgement that the woke fraction had treated Jeff abominably and that we strongly resemble a dysfunctional family in denial. This pervasive institution doublethink double was partially a result of Jeff's own apparent decision to refrain from open confrontation. I offered to help him by defending him publicly if he wished, after both the 2018 resolution and the 2020 flyers. He thanked me but politely asked me to stay out of it. The principal driver of the doublethink in my department and so many others at UCLA is fear of the woke faction. Signs of this fear are omnipresent. Discussing whether to stop requiring the GRE, a standardized test, like the SAT, from applicants to our PhD program, one colleague told a meeting of the biological anthropology subfield that he regarded the GRE as the most informative part of an applicant's dossier, but that we had no choice but to vote to stop requiring it. Why? Because otherwise we would be regarded as racists. I was the only person to vote against dropping the GRE requirement. Asking a question following a public talk, a colleague conspicuously used the word Latinx or Latinx, even though the speaker had described both herself and her research subjects as Latinas, and even though he himself is a previous private in a previous private conversation, had mockingly referred to the opinion polls showing that only a small minority of Hispanic Americans prefer to be called Latinx. Outside the anthropology department, UCLA as a whole is showing all signs of woke capture that typify the contemporary U.S. university. Emeritus Professor Val Rust, Graduate School of Education, was banned from campus after incurring the wrath of graduate student adherents of critical race theory. Researcher James Estrom, Environmental Health Sciences, and lecturer Keith Fink, Communication Studies, were fired from dissenting from the woke orthodoxy. Gordon Klein, after being fired from fired by UCLA's business school in the spring of 2020 for refusing to use race-based grading criteria, I recall that one, mobilized mass support and legal assistance was reinstated and is now suing the university. We're coming to the end of this, I promise. It says, quote, statements recounting one's activities on behalf of equity, diversity, and inclusion are mandatory in faculty job applications and in promotion dossiers. Among its gender recognition policy recommendations, the university task force is calling for, quote, curricular updates, for example, inclusion of non-binary and intersex identities in biology courses for healthcare practitioners, unquote, is is a threat to pursue course instructions in the life sciences and social sciences to decay the human sex binary. The experience of former Penn State evolutionary biology postdoc Colin Wright suggests that it might be. For arguing against assertions that biological sex is a continuous spectrum and that notions of male and female may be mere social constructs, quote-unquote, Wright's academic career was derailed by an online mob. Now he writes on Substack. 
Also typical of elite U.S. universities, UCLA is awash with Jew hatred thinly disguised as anti-Zionism. In May 2019, one of my colleagues, Kyung Park, invited a guest lecturer, San Francisco State University professor Rabab, I'm not going to get that name, uh, to her class to proclaim that Zionism is a form of white supremacist. Well, white supremacism. Unlike Rust, Estrom, Fink, Klein, uh, Brannington Park was celebrated by the faculty and administration as a courageous, embattled exponent of academic freedom. Well, there you go. The old, the old hypocrisy. <laughs> wow. Take the sides of the funders and you're not the bad guy anymore. Says the Anthropology Graduate Students Association chimed in with a resolution agreeing that the person who was Abdullah Hadi, whatever their name is, more recently, uh, the Asian American Studies Department posted to its website a statement accusing Israel of settler colonialism, racial apartheid, and so on. Irrespective of the content, doesn't it infringe on the academic freedom of individual professors and postdocs and graduate students who career, whose careers are dependent on faculty recommendations for an academic department to take a political stand on behalf of all of its members? Several other Jewish faculty and I have made the case to UCLA and the University of California leadership to no avail. Um, it continues as Doris Day saying, "The future's not ours to see, but it's good. But it's a good bet that the grip of woke orthodoxy on the University of California and most other once great American universities will only tighten in the years to come. Why am I pessimistic? For a few reasons. First, the younger faculty tend to be more woke than their elders. Second, administrators and students." and student protesters perform elaborately choreographed routines that inevitably end with the former enacting policies that they wanted to enact anyway, for which the latter's public temper tantrums serve as a pretext. Third, now that standardized tests have been dropped from undergraduate application requirements, a growing number of students will be simultaneously unable to handle university-level coursework and predisposed to denounce their professors for hearsay, having been chosen for admission on the basis of their leftist activism as high school students. Meanwhile, California's K-12 schools are increasingly substituting mind-damaging political indoctrination for education. No kidding. So it wraps up with this. It says, so why stick around for the paycheck? One of my more cynical friends, a tenured professor at a different university, is no longer on speaking terms with his colleagues, refuses all requests to serve on committees, and spends as much time as possible out of the country. And yet he remains at his school. He thinks I'm out of my mind, swapping a salary for a pension. Maybe he's right, and maybe I'm craven for ducking the unpleasantness that would be, uh, that would be entailed by going that route. But by remaining at my job and becoming a chronic troublemaker. But I strongly suspect the mainstream U.S. higher education is beyond the point of self repair and therefore no longer a worthwhile set- setting for the intellectually curious. You got that right. It says a 2019 article by Leal Leibovitz, titled Get Out, argued that the increasingly open hostility of American universities towards Jews is inseparable from the university's increasingly brazen rejection of two values that during the 20th century made them into places where Jews specifically and ambitiously and open-minded people generally could thrive, mediocrity and free debate. Um, in 2019, I thought that Leibovitz was exa- uh, exaggerating and rather overwrought. Everything that's happened since has shown that he was spot on. Well, I'll, I'll say something about that. Ever playing the victim is a, is a massive mistake. Um, that's, that's not entirely true. Again, if, if, if such individuals believe that 
who who I I should say tend to be Jewish and and believe that well you know people hate Jews so that all of a sudden this is uh, you know they're all anti-Semitic that that's ridiculous number one number two these institutions don't like anybody unless you take their side on everything and they're so brainwashed that they can't even decide what they agree on because they don't agree on anything which means again you're talking about a cult so even if a jewish professor writes an article saying we got to get out of here because they're anti-semitic no that's not really the reason you should get out because everybody's brainwashed that's why and again just because somebody disagrees with you doesn't make them anti-Semitic. Maybe they just know more than you do. But again, always playing the victim. Here's the last, uh, here's the last paragraph. And this is where the author kind of gets it wrong. Among you know, just a couple other things in the article. But it was solid because, again, even the brainwashed, like the people who teach at un the University of, of uh, California, Los Angeles, even they are on their own spectrum of awakening. And they're certainly on the spectrum. Uh, they're slowly learning, but they aren't there yet. They're just not there yet. It says, quote, the rise of alternative institutions like the University of, of Austin and Ralston College are very hopeful signs, even though the work is slow going. But until those new schools are built, I can't bear to spend one more moment in a place that's morally and intellectually bankrupt. That's it. I'm getting out. Well, good for them. Good for them. Some of us did it a long time ago. Some of us have been doing it for a very long time and talking about it for a very long time. Now, again, congratulations to this person for waking up with your 1,442 likes to your article. But the fact is, is that we've been ahead of the curve for a very long time. And you've been in the cult for a very long time. And all of a sudden, now the cultish behavior comes after you and people that you like and respect, quote unquote. And now all of a sudden, it's offensive. It wasn't a problem for people like this guy when they were going after innocent students and discriminating against innocent students who just wanted to learn. That wasn't a problem for him. It, it, it became a problem for him when the inmates started to run the institution and run the asylum. That's when it became a problem for him. And again, he even said it. He goes, well, I could stick around and cause a problem, and I could stick around and, and, and fight the good fight, or I could just leave. Well, a lot of us, too, stuck around and fought the good fight as long as we could, and then we left. Because as he says, and he's right about this, they are beyond saving. They're beyond saving. They are quite literally cults in all of their behavior. And when the people who run the joint are cult are are cultish and victims of the cult it's game over the institution can't be saved so yeah there you go I, I i don't know what else to say long article sorry for the length but uh but that's you know it, it's another example of the awakening process among some ucla professor finally wakes up good for him a lot of us are ahead of the curve on this though and uh, he's just starting to make his way into the bend, so to speak. But at least he's there. He's wrong on countless issues, but whatever. That's all right. He gets to be. Uh, here's a thread reader app thing I want to read very quickly. Shifting gears slightly. This has to do with prepping, and it has to do with the Dutch farmer strike. And God bless the Dutch for what they're doing. Again, they're, if you're unfamiliar with what's going on there, their government has basically outlawed farming. And I came across the, a thing that said something like 90% of beef comes from the Netherlands and uh, that area of Europe. So there you go. I don't know if that's true or not, but it certainly seems like a lot. I know we have plenty of cattle here, but anyway. So it says the following, and this is from Tucker Max. It says, quote, six months ago, I talked about the coming chaos. I called it managed decline, quote unquote, and many people didn't understand. Here's an example of what I mean and a warning. The Dutch farmer strike and resulting forced starvation. If you haven't heard of this yet, buckle up. 
Dutch farmers' strike started because the Dutch government cut nitrogen emissions by stealing farmers' lands and putting them out of business. No, really. Two summaries of stories linked below. Since the Dutch farmers reacted the way that you'd expect, they got pissed and protested. So the Dutch government is now trying to kill them. No, really. And again, footage of some of them being shot at. Um, there are tons more that you can find, and the point is the Dutch government feels totally okay using lethal force against people they are openly stealing from and oppressing. This is big. It goes way beyond the politics of a small European country. The Dutch are the world's second biggest AG exporter after the United States. Why the Dutch government, why, why'd the Dutch government do this? To meet EU climate goals, quote unquote. And then they said, no, seriously. Unelected bureaucrats made up numbers, and here we are. They know this is going to starve people around the world. How can I say that for sure? They are already trying to justify and rationalize. Look at this on the UN's website, and it's titled The Benefits of World Hunger from the United Nations. And then this is not remotely the end. This is only the beginning. So many indications this is intentional and created by some sort of plan. Of course, carbon food labels may be coming, and here's what they mean. More articles on that. And it says, and of course, they keep trying to sell people on eating bugs. This is my favorite propaganda about this so far. It's mind-boggling to watch the brazenness of it. And it's Nicole Kidman, the actress, who is eating bugs, sitting at a small table and allegedly eating bugs. Trying to normalize that insanity. It says the threat is not about convincing people this is coming. It's here and happening. If you don't choose to see it or believe the evidence, that's fine. Reality will catch up to you soon enough. This threat is for those who get it, but haven't really started preparing. Let me be very clear. If you don't have some food stored and access or ability to grow, produce your own food, you're putting yourself at serious risk of, at best, total sub subjugation and worst death. Obviously, I can't predict what'll happen. I think America will resist this much better than most for two reasons. Number one, we have an armed citizenry willing and able to defend themselves against this tyranny. And two, our size and political structure make this sort of control hard. But they're going to try some form of this here, and resistance won't center on guns or politics long term. Resistance will center on the ability of communities to be mostly sovereign. Can you produce what you need or not? If so, you'll stay free. If not, probably NGMI. Not going to make it, I guess. It says, uh, Ugh, I linked the two violence videos. My bad. Here's more. And then there's more of people being shot at. And of course, Biden even warned us about this earlier. They know their policies are causing this and just expect you to roll over and take it. And then audio of Biden talking about it. So there you go. When it comes to the business of prepping, as I've brought up again, not, not frequently, but certainly um, before in the past on this show, which actually was the first reason I got kicked off, I think, um, back in the fake inauguration day of 2021, is that I, I think it's a good idea, again, for people to always think months, if not years in advance. Yeah, storable food is, is a big deal in the, you know, in, the, in the giant plastic containers. I suggest people do that. I have some on hand. Um, I have family members who have some on hand, and, and that's excellent. And you know, adding to it a little at a time is always a good thing. Same thing with clean water, spring water. Have storable spring water on hand. If you can collect rainwater and filter it, I recommend doing that too. Lots of different things that exist out there to show people how to do these things. Um, guns, ammunition, all of that stuff, very important. I would say a couple of other things. Make sure you have gasoline and a generator. I know that this is expensive and it adds up, but investing in a gas-powered generator is a good thing. And then, of course, investing in a freezer and making sure that you have a freezer. In particular, regardless of, frankly, the climate you live in. Um, and then lastly, I would say this, use the time that we have now to take the agriculture that still exists now and freeze it if you can. Cut the corn off of the cobs, freeze the corn. 
You know, that's that's a meal in itself down the line. Um, you know, if these masks and jab rollouts come about again, and I can't help but again think of the grocery stores because the grocery stores are the con game. I mean, they're involved in this too. They push, they push the farmer out of, of those stores on purpose. They, they push the real farmers out. Unless, of course, they play the insecticide Monsanto game, in which case they're allowed to play with inside of those grocery stores. But um, being less dependent on those stores and saving your own food and freezing your own food and keeping it for a long period of time, again, months, if not years down the line, is, is going to always be the best option. It's going to be interesting to see, again, what ultimately comes about, but being prepared for it, regardless of the scenario, and thinking multidimensionally about those kinds of scenarios from a preparatory standpoint is a life-saving, life-saving skill. Because I know countless people, family members included, who have no idea what's going on. And when the shit hits the fan, if it does again, they, they, they're, going to, they're going to panic. They're not going to have a single idea as to what's happening. Geez, why isn't Costco open? Or geez, why isn't uh, the grocery store down the street open? Well, that seems strange that the, that the shelves are empty. I can't seem to understand what's going on. I mean, they're not going to have a clue. And then, you know, unfortunately, it's just going to be another one of those I told you so moments that's going to go in one of their ears and out the other. But it's going to be too late for some. So don't be on the wrong end of that too late stick. Uh, you know, we be we we need to be on the preparatory end of it. Is is my take. So there you go. Time is of the essence, I think. And uh, there you have it. I'll catch you on Wednesday, everybody. Take care. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless. <laughs>